Welcome back to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we forge value-driven investors on a mission to live life on their terms. No matter where you have come from or where you are going, becoming a value-driven investor is in all our best interests because becoming financially free allows us to focus on what matters most, fulfilling our purpose. Our community of value-driven investors is committed to showing you the way. With the support of this community, you are sure to reach your goals. For all of us in the value-driven investor community, there is no greater gift than the gift of giving. Because together, anything is possible. We're back at the Value Driven Investor Podcast with my buddy, Bob Grand. How the hell are you doing, Bob Grand? Doing great, buddy. Doing great. Dude, I'm excited, man. And, you know, it's cool. Uh, you just got out. Literally, you ran from the fire station to the podcast. And here you are, three days of being the firefighter that you are. And now it was great because I like, Bob, you got any good stories? And you're like, I can see your brain going, okay, fire firefighter <laughs> stories or am I talking real right. estate? What am yeah. I doing? What am I yeah. doing? And then What's it was it great because then I told a story and you were like, okay, okay, yeah, that's what I needed. <laughs> okay, and then your brain yeah. switched over and that was awesome, it was man. It a story but... about a firefighter and real estate. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. It all worked out good. You know, when you talk about awesome. uh, living life on your own terms, you are saying that last week. So, you know, I always work, 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 and then I take chunks of time off. Well, I know we have a bunch of podcasts scheduled for the end of this month and stuff, but uh, Shelly just said we're booking a trip to, or we booked a trip to Hawaii. We leave next week and we're going to be there for 10 days. So when you see me at the next series of podcasts, uh, I'll be recording from uh, the Big Island. We'll be staying in Waikoloa Village (laughs) and then we'll be down in Kailua Kona. I love it, dude. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so today, you know, last episode, um, well, today's episode, again, is going to be part two of how do I find a general contractor I can trust? Part two. Now, part one, what did we talk about when it was when we talked about how do I find a general contractor you can trust, it was about two real key things. It was about opportunity cost. Well, should I be the general contractor or should I really put in the effort to find a general contractor that I can trust? And then the other thing was control. Because if you decide that you want to be the general contractor, then yeah, you're gonna have a lot more control, but how does that control add up to your ROT, which is return on time. And at the end of the podcast, I think Bob and I can agree that if you really want to build a business that's going to be scalable, if you want to build a business that's going to give you life on your terms, if you want to build a business that's going to give you financial freedom, then you probably want to pay attention to ROT, which is return on time, and opportunity cost. And that will result in you looking for a general contractor that you can build a relationship, especially long term, and that relationship will pay dividends for you. You can flip houses on your own. You can be your own general contractor, but I just want you to know you will have a limited amount of jobs you can do. You will have a lot more stress. And at the end of the day, your ROT will not be what it could be, especially if you compare yourself to a Bob Grander myself. And so it all comes down to, you know what? This is your life and it's on your terms. So you do what you want to do and we're just giving you the information that we have. Yep. So today I'm excited because I we're going to talk about a couple different things as on part two of the how do I find a contractor I can trust. 
And in part two, what we're gonna talk about is actually going out there and finding it. Where do you go? What resources do you use? Who do you talk to? Where do you get the referral? But then I think the real meat potatoes of this podcast episode is gonna be about how do I interview a contractor? Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was telling Bob before this thing even launched, before we yeah. hit go on the podcast today, I said, Bob, look at all those questions. And Bob said, yeah, look at that. And I said, Bob, that's going to be an hour at least. <laughs> We're long-winded. <laughs> that's going to be yeah. an hour at yeah. least talking about yeah. all those different questions about how do I interview a contractor. And the reason I say that and I know that is because there's so much that goes into each one of those questions. There's so many stories that pop into my head. Uh, and, and it's so important because when you interview that contractor – you are you don't really know who you're getting involved with the interview gives you and sheds light on who you might be able to get involved with but then through experience you're going to know through every one of those answers that that contractor gives you hmm i wonder if he's telling me the truth or not right. hmm i don't think so hmm yeah this is the guy. This is the guy. <laughs> and you know what? That was what's awesome about Bob's story at yeah. the end of the last part one of this uh, topic. Bob basically gave us a really good guide through his story of ah, Bob's really apprehensive. Ah, Bob's really good at firing his contractors. Ah, <laughs> Bob really learned and he learned, you know what? I got to be more open-minded. And then as he became more open-minded and more trusting and willing to give people a second chances or just give them a chance, he now is working with a contractor that he's really excited about. And I think that's a great segue into, into today's episode, part two of how do I find a contractor I can trust? Now, I want to start this episode off with the story because I am very fortunate enough to have found a contractor that I can trust, and he's my buddy, Chris. And Chris and I have been working together, and you guys have heard this if you've listened to every episode of the podcast. Uh, he, he and I have been working together for, I think it's like 12 years now. And I wanna tell the story of how did I find Chris? Now, the how I found Chris was because back, again, you're gonna hear, this is gonna seem like a repeat of some of the stories I told, but it's really important because it has a lot to do with how did I find Chris and what we're talking about today. So how I found Chris was through back when we were doing all our rehabs in the foreclosure days, call it 2009, 10, 11, um, we were working with multiple different general contractors. Uh, we had three, four, five, six, seven general contractors at once. Wow. We were doing smaller jobs. It was, it was crazy. It was, you, I mean, talk about managing relationships or AKA babysitting. Mm -hmm. um, but the beauty was we really learned who the good contractors were because the babysitting, you know, I told you that horror story in the last episode, part one, and the babysitting on that when you're in a horror story is terrible. It sucks all of your time. Oh my God. But then what, how you determine if you have a good general contractor is the babysitting gets less and less and less and less and less to the point where you have enough trust in that guy that it's kind of like, hey man, between my designers and you, like, you really don't need me because let me go find the next deal. And they're all like, yeah, that's what we need you for. You go find the next deal yeah. and we'll take care of this. And that's yep. essentially what happened is, is that 
we had all these contractors going and we would just dump one dump another one dump one dump another one oh the inventory yeah. started to shrink oh we didn't need that one we'd get rid of the weakest link oh the inventory started to shrink oh we don't need that one number five get rid of him mm -hmm. and then boom 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 all the way down to like the banks quit giving away houses we didn't have enough deals and we hadn't got into the Inville development business which is what we're doing right now doing these 1.4 1.6 million dollar projects and so we were like okay who are we gonna stick with who's gonna be our guy and on top of being a great contractor we could trust he was also an independent thinker and he was also like us like he he had figured out how to live yeah. life on his terms and that general contracting was a thing that he wanted to do yeah. he was independently uh financially free i mean he didn't have money problems which when you're Oof. looking for a good contractor, if you can find <laughs> one that doesn't one. have money problems, like that's a huge <laughs> winning That's formula. number one, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I mean, he, all these things added up. Uh. And so, uh, like I said, what, what really made us decide, okay, you know what, this is our guy, was that we could trust him, that we didn't have to babysit him, that he believed in what we believed in and was on the same path as us. But then the next big kicker for me was – he came up with the next idea. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? How are we going to leap from doing all these foreclosure bank owner, bank owned deals to the next thing? And the next thing was infill development. And that was his big idea. So he brought that awesome idea to us. And he no also was the one that helped kick us out of the plane to make us do it. Now, wow. That's way more than being a general contractor. Oh. That's being a business partner. And mm -hmm. if you can find a general contractor that can also be a partner and help grow you, grow this relationship, grow this mm -hmm. business, grow this opportunity with you, yeah. that's what you're ultimately looking for. And mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that not only is Chris a good friend of mine, Chris is also thinks like me. And you know what? When we you know when you have an amazing contractor, amazing business partner, when the bullets are flying, when you know you're at war, when you're about to lose money, because it will happen these moments, that guy stands shoulder to shoulder with you and says, you know what, man? Whatever happens, dude, I got your back. If yeah. we lose money, we lose money. But just know I'm there for you, man. And, yeah. and, I, and he knows I'm there for him. And like, if you can find that, like I found it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, and then from that point forward, you have to realize now you're in a marriage. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a marriage, like if you're not good at, at, at being married, then this is gonna be a problem. And I say that sincerely because marriage is hard. <laughs> marriage is like, you know, it's forever, right? Yeah. And, and I say right. that generally speaking, but you know, a real marriage, my marriage with my wife is forever. Well, I have to understand that forever means that I have to have compromise. Yeah. Forever means that I have to listen to both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. Forever means that I have to have self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Forever means that it can't just be my way. And so that's my story about Chris is that I've learned so much about going from seven different general contractors, breaking them all down, finding what I need, deciding who's the one person that I want to run with to get to the next opportunity. And then here wow. I sit today. Right. right. Now, I'm not going to tell you though, that I'm ignorant enough to not work with other general contractors because life is what it is. And things happen. If I lose Chris because he gets in a snowmobiling accident, 
we need to have another person that can still run our business. So I still do work with other general contractors here and there. I have other general contractor relationships that I'm continually growing, but it will never take over my relationship with Chris. Chris will always be my number one yeah. until unless something happens where a trust is lost. Right. Um, but thank God for 12 years, it's been that way. So nice. I'd start off with that story because it's, it's feasible. It's possible. You know, last week I started with a story of, of like, is this really what I want to do? Like this was your problem. This is like horrible. And yeah. then today I start off with a story of hope because yeah. I have a great thing. Bob has a great thing and he's working on a great thing and it's possible, but does it take a hell of a lot of work? Yes. It takes a hell of a lot of work. Yep. And just like a marriage, you have to look at both sides of the coin. So I start off with that story because I think it's super important going into how do I find a contractor I can actually trust? So Grando, kick it off, man. Like if I'm sitting there, I'm in the survival phase of real estate and I'm like, okay, you know what? I've been doing these wholesale deals. I'm excited about these wholesale deals. I'm making money doing these wholesale deals, but I'm seeing these other guys, even when they pay me my wholesale fee, they're still making more money than me. Right. So how do I find a general contractor I can trust and maybe start doing what they're doing, keep the margin that I would make on the wholesale fee and now make even more because I can actually build out the project. Grando, where would you start looking for that general contractor you can trust? You know, so I'm in real estate, so I'm always, always looking, you know, in places that where people are touching real estate. So, um, my, my own private money lender is a great person, you know, local private money lender. They're seeing all the contractors, you know, when people are doing draw requests with private, they're seeing. So my first place, if I'm borrowing money and I'm thinking about going that route and I'm a wholesaler, that's the next step. You're going to figure out the money aspect, probably borrow it. So with that, I'd probably say, who do you know that would be great to work with me inside of that? So go into your private money lender. Property managers are another great place. You're working on a project. You said, hey, I'm going to be working on some projects. I'm thinking that I'm going to be doing some rentals down the road, probably keeping some of them and selling some of them. But um, I wanted to see if you had any great contacts for me that you utilize in your property management world for good contractors. Property managers, the good ones can do almost a complete you know, rehab on a house for you. So they're kind of like a little bit of the jack of all trades. But that gives you, I think, access to some of the smaller offbeat people that potentially can grow with you. The first thing I had an issue with is I was going to bigger contractors. They had a lot of business and they were doing a lot. And I didn't have an, I, I maybe had a kind of an established or a known relationship with them, but not as good as something that, you know, if I would have started, like I'm starting out here in the survival phase, they're in their survival phase, or maybe they're just out of that survival phase, but they're maybe not as big and you could potentially grow with them. I think that would be a pretty good place because those people are more likely to have time to be able to go out with you and even look at your projects and be like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. And then you're like, what do you think all that could cost? You know, how would that look? How would this be? So that's, I think like if I were to like really sit down and think of two ways, you know, that would be outside of being like, I'm going to Craigslist and I'm going to just look up people on, on Google and stuff like that. That's probably how I would probably start. Cause those are the people that are doing work and they're usually more affordable, you know, at those prices. Cause they're doing a lot of business with those places. And you can ask those two places, like, you know, a property manager, 
as well as a, a hard money lender for an introduction to them too. So then you get that third party connection where they don't want to let that person down because they're already doing business with them. So that'd be my yeah, thought. Grando, I 100% agree with you. Uh, a referral from someone you already trust or are yeah. doing business yeah, with that'd be another way is too. going right. to be your best resource for a contractor that you're probably going to end up trusting. Because mm -hmm. um, that's again how I came in, in touch with Chris is that he was referred to us. He said, you know, hey, you got Chris, you got to talk to these guys. Uh, they do a lot of work. We knew the guy that referred him over to us. Uh, and then um, through his track record, obviously, you know, the rest is history, but it was a direct referral and he actually yep. got referred to us instead of us going to him. And so we put him through the stringers and yeah. boom, there it went. So that's great. The other thing yeah. that really made me think about uh, your recommendations there with private money lender and a property manager is that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm as I'm going into multifamily in uh, different states, San Antonio and down in the uh, southeast in the Tennessee market yeah. um, as we build out multifamily. Uh, that's exactly what I'm doing is we're going to a property manager, which is a referral referral. And then the property manager saying, yeah, we got contractors. We got a whole book of them. Here's a couple guys that you should, might want to talk yeah. to. And so that really made me think like Grando's on it because yeah. we were, we're going to a whole nother level, which is commercial mm -hmm. when we're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. And that's how we're finding our referrals is exactly how Grand said. Yeah. But now Grand, let's get a little bit into the deeper, you know, weeds here. Like Referrals, 100% agree. That is mm -hmm. the number one way you're going to find a contractor you can trust. But what are some other ways? Like, what about going to your hardware store? And I'm going to throw this out oh, there, Grand. And you geez. just tell me, you, how about you tell me this, Grando? Yay or nay okay. when I say it, okay? So how about going to your hardware store, like an Ace Hardware yeah. or your Home Depot and saying, hey, you know, I do a lot of rehab on properties. Do you have a contractor I can trust? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, the Pro Desk at Home Depot, 100%. The Pro Desk and at least in my Home Depots, the pro desks at all Home Depots are getting really good and they actually have really competent people there. Um, so I think the pro desk at Home, Be Home Depot is a great place to go because those contractors go through, they have the pro account and they're always putting job names and stuff. So they're always cycling through there. They know a lot of the contractors by first name. And I was actually in one the other day. I'm not as known, but we do a lot of volume business with our little handy dudes through Home Depot and they were trying to figure something out on our account. They said that I had like $1,000 of free money. I was like, I don't think we do. And then we looked it up and yeah, it was already utilized. But there, every time I was standing there watching that a new contractor would come in and he'd be like, oh, hey, such and such, this and that. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm working on this. And they're like, oh, it's ready over here. And I was like, huh. I was like thinking that that's a great place to sit there and pick up people, you know? So I could see that. I mean, maybe an Ace Hardware might be the same. You talk to those guys, those people are just in and out all the time so much. And they contractors are they have the people and the places they like to work with and they keep going back time and time again because why they get perks everywhere they go there's coffee there there's donuts there there's stuff they're friends you know it's like they build the relationship and it's all about relationships so grando so let's go to the next one right. google when you do a google search what are your what are your thoughts on google searches good but it doesn't have the third party connection that's bringing you together so uh, I caution most people, you know, like the people that are doing a really good job on that and they're coming up the one, two or three spot. I think that they're worth talking to. They're worth interviewing. There's, there's some value there, but, um, you, I think you just have to be a little bit more careful and you're going to want to, you know, kind of vet them out a little bit more. Okay. Let's so. go to the next one. A f online community Facebook room. So like, let's say it's like you live in Eugene, right? And yeah. so you go to the Eugene uh, Facebook group about, you know, home improvement or something. Cause yeah. there's always those quirky little niche. Yeah. What do you think about that? Mm. 
I kind of rate that up there a little bit with Google. Like, I, I mean, I'm vetting people and I'm going to figure out who they know that I know. So if they're in that Facebook group, I'm going to look for mutual friends. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to those mutual people and ask them how they know them before I even make contact with them. But I think there's value there. You can do it. So, but not as good as that third party, you know, referral or word of mouth connection. Never. It'll never yeah. be as good. Yeah. But I'm trying to get creative, you know, yeah, yeah. like I wish I could say the yellow pages, but I don't right. even think they have the yellow pages anymore. <laughs> yeah. That'd be epic. I remember that <laughs> back in the 1900s. I know, right? right? That dates us, right? Back when we the remember 1900s. the yellow pages. <laughs> Look it up. Ah. Um, do you have one? Grando, do you have one that pops into mind, like a different, just alternative source that's not referral, that isn't? Home Depot or Google or Facebook private groups. Like, do you have one that pops in your head that I'm not thinking of? God, I really don't on top of that. I mean, um, yeah, no, I don't. I mean, with me and my profession, like, you know, like I know a lot of firefighters have their, you know, do other jobs and stuff like that. So I instantly, if I know one of them, you know, I'll go to that person or I ask that group. So actually that is one. Like if you do a different job and you have a peer group of people, that peer group is a, probably a great place for more referrals. So it kind of goes back to that referral. So it kind of feeds back into that. But third party police firefighters, a lot of those people have second time part time jobs. And if you can find military is another great one. So like if you find military people that are um, what the guys that I really like past military dudes, my plumber's a past military guy. I love that. Um, but the people that are reserves, like a lot of those guys, they're still serving in their reserves. Man, if you could go and like talk to you know, the local reserve office or that and ask them who they know, like you're getting a person that is, you know, not going to let anybody down. That is a person. They, that yeah. They don't believe trip. in quitting, right? No, no. That's like, I love it when one, if a contractor tells me they were a vet or they're in the military, the reserve, or they're a police or they're a firefighter, any of that stuff, I get like excited because I know they won't quit. <laughs> you know, bullets are flying. They're running at the bullets, you know? I'm and you know what, Grando, that's such an <laughs> awesome piece of advice because it is really what you're looking for. When you're, when you're looking for that perfect general contractor, you're looking for an attitude mm -hmm. and you're looking for a personality more than you're even looking for experience. Yeah. Now, experience matters, don't get me wrong, uh, because they've solved more problems. And <laughs> if there's one thing they need to be good at, that's called problem solving right. when it comes to construction. But yeah, I think there's an attitude and, and a general contractor has to have a never quit attitude. Uh, you know, so, okay, this is, I mean, it just sums it up. like. I keep asking Bob for different resources and he keeps coming back to referral, 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 because it comes down to integrity. It comes down to word of mouth. It comes down to trust. I mean, it's hard to find someone you trust if you don't get that person from someone else you trust. And right. so there's not really much more we can talk about as far as where do you go to find this guy? Mm -hmm. But now I think the meat and potatoes, like I told you, is how do you interview the guy? Now he might be a firefighter, he might be uh, a military background, he might be a uh, highly recommended referral for someone that you really, really trust, like your mom, your dad, right. a past business partner, whatever it might be. But that doesn't mean that you don't interview them. That doesn't mean that you don't go out and think for yourself and come to your own conclusions of, is this the right guy for me? Mm -hmm. So Grando, I want to kick it off with you. How do I do In it? In the interview process, yeah. the first thing that I think you need to ask is, what is their experience level? What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? 
Yep. Experience level is number one. I want to know what their experience level is, where they've worked, what they've done in those jobs. Like the well wrong, like a, there could be, you know, the instance that you have a general contractor who's just basically has his general contractor license, at least in Oregon, and he can just hire all the other people in project. And he's essentially a project manager. Right. And that's okay. And maybe he doesn't have construction experience, but I want the guy who I know who's done it, right? He started out, maybe he started out when he was 18 as a framer, worked for two years there and was like, I got to do something else. Then he goes to roofing. He's like, it ain't getting any better here. Then he gets to here and there. And then he's now a fin. Then he's did finish work. And then he's like, you know what? I need to GC, you know, like I need to be this guy. Those are the guys that I'm always looking for who've been through the trades and done it. They don't have to be amazing at all of them but they just have to know how each phase goes together and how they understand that. And so talking to them about their experience level and all that um, is key. And what I really like to hear from a general contractor is the ones that say I can do everything, throw up a red flag for me. Oh, I can do it all. It's like, well, what does that mean? But the ones that say, okay, you can do it all. And I say, what about framing? They're, they're, if they're like, oh yeah, I can do framing. And they answer it quick. You're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, how much framing? Cause that's a big one, right? But the ones that will have the honesty and integrity to say, I've done framing, it's not my number one, I'm better at doing like interior remodel framing where I'm not dealing with major structural issues or new construction framing. When people have the ability to be honest with you and real with you, that's the ticket when you're looking at Grando, you're I 100% it. agree with you. And I think though, you also, in the context of what you were talking about, you know, what do you guys, you know, you ask the guy, well, what do you think about framing? Can you do framing? I think a really good general contractor, like an experienced general contractor would say, well, I know how to frame, but I have four guys that yeah. on my crew that will be doing the framing. See, right. that's the difference between a subcontractor mm -hmm. and a general contractor. A general right. contractor is the quarterback. Yep. He runs the team yep. he, or even the offensive coordinator. He runs the team and he tells all the players on the field what to do. Right. You know, so the GC is the offensive coordinator and he's got to find a really good quarterback. And yep. that quarterback is his framer, let's yep. say. And yeah. so you also have to think about how are they thinking about it? Because you don't want a GC that's necessarily going to jump on the job and frame the whole house yeah. or has his own internal framing crew and he's part of that crew. Right. That's not really the GC I would be looking for because I want the guy to be up in the box watching all the players on the field yeah. and making sure they're doing the right things and yep. then they have the right resources. If somebody gets hurt, he knows he's got a new player that he can pop in and he knows exactly right. how to pop them in. So yep. I 100% agree yeah. with Grando. Uh, great assessment on experience. Now, let me take this next one. The next one is, are they licensed bonded and insured that's when you're interviewing a, a general contractor for the job you need to find out are you licensed bonded and insured now you're yeah. probably like well duh yeah okay yeah right duh i get it but i've even taken made this mistake oh uh, yeah and worked with guys <laughs> that aren't fully licensed might not have a big enough bond and they might not even be insured well tim why would you ever do that uh money yeah. because when you start you're like well gosh so you're licensed, bought, and insured? You're expensive. How about you? Are you licensed, bought, and insured? Well, uh, you know, I, I have a bond. But I work for a guy you know, who is. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, but you're so much less expensive. And you're so much more expensive. And it's all of a sudden your brain's going, okay, you know, I, I make more money if I go with the less expensive guy. I make less money if I go with the expensive guy. Who should I go with? You go with the guy that's licensed, bonded, and insured. Every because time. if anything goes wrong, 
you're covered because you hired that guy because yeah. he's covered through his license. He's obviously has to have a, uh, he's knowledgeable um, and he could lose his license yeah. if he doesn't do the right things. He's bonded, meaning he has a bond. So if something happens, the house falls down, he's covered through his bond and his insurance. And so these are super important things. Grando, I know you, mm-hmm. you probably know more about the license bonding insured than yeah. I do. So if you want to add something to no, how I- important it is that someone's license bond insured, that'd be awesome it, i mean it's it's so important and, and taking it a step further a lot of people don't think about this and and my insurance lady actually told me this having them make you as an additional insured person on their bonding and everything it's a simple easy form that they do and all they have to do and that guarantees you know that they're with you on that project and especially like big projects and stuff like that if they're coming in as a little bit of a like a small sub and it's a few thousand dollars i could see not probably spending all the time to do that but if they're the gc and they're running it every project they're putting you down as that so that way you're added to their insurance and you're additionally insured on that whole thing because you know what happens in oregon if somebody's not licensed insured they go and cut their foot off on your job site they walk into the er and then they ask was this an on-the-job injury that guy's gonna be like well yeah i was working on this and that if that guy wasn't insured it's coming back on you you know it's coming back and and that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, I hold my general contractor's license still as a developer, just so I still have that layer of protection in place. And I can cover myself just in case, you know, somebody slips through the crack. At least then I have my own backup with my own license and stuff because we're we're subbing all that work out. But it's so important, you know, and that's why I feel like I even just keep my license just because and I don't ever want to an issue. So, so yeah. let's go on to the question number three. Do you offer a warranty on your work? Now, this is a really great question uh, because there's big difference between like new construction in the state of, that I'm in. And I would believe every state. I haven't done the homework, but you're yeah. going to have um, warranties because in Oregon, one year. they have warranties on yeah. new construction, right? New like construction, a one, two and one ten year. warranty. Yeah, they've, they've got yeah. to cover all the major systems and all that stuff for one year. That's mandatory yep. for new construction. Yep. So, but. so a new construction, and I think every state you're going to have mandatory warranties. Mm-hmm. Like in Minnesota, you have a one-year warranty, you have a two-year warranty, and then you have a ten-year warranty. The one-year warranty wow. is just for everything uh, that they've done on the house. They have to stand behind their workmanship. Uh, the two-year warranty is for major mechanicals like your furnace, your AC, any other major water heater, that stuff, which is usually not really a big warranty by the builder because it's warranted yeah. by the actual manufacturers right. of each one of those products. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a pretty easy one for the builder and then you have the 10-year warranty which is for major structural like your foundation your framing uh stuff like that so yes you want to have warranty now let's get a little bit simpler here though because we're talking about maybe flipping a small house maybe eighty thousand dollar house or a hundred thousand dollar one hundred fifty thousand dollar house and flipping it into like that three hundred four hundred thousand dollar house a little bit smaller job you know it's going to be maybe fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollar in rehab give or take and again i'm being general yeah um because i know different areas of the country are going to have different prices um but it's not a huge like remodel where this guy's like adding additions or anything it's more of just a cosmetic remodel um do you have a warranty for that and i would tell you that uh builder a builder that's worth anything should warranty their work for at least one year Mm -hmm. they should stand behind what they're doing because if they install something and it wasn't done right 
you should be able to call them and you should be able to have a discussion with them and they should be willing to come out if it wasn't done right and they admit that it wasn't done right which again is a hard thing yeah but it's pretty easy to know if something isn't done right yeah. so grando would you agree <laughs> that i mean a really a good contractor which means a good person uh who stands behind their work and has integrity they mm. should stand behind their product for at least a year oh, would you agree yeah for sure uh the roofer that we use right now he does a, a five-year and i'll pick him every day of the week just because he says five-year warranty and like I, i'll pay more money to have that level of security you know especially when i'm flipping and it's hard to say you're giving up your profit but you're giving up your profit for protection you know when yeah you but you're giving up your profit and in exchange you're reducing headaches because when when contractors stand behind their work then when you have a problem so you're the one that actually sold the product because it was your property yep. and they contact you and say i have a problem you can say no problem i'm going to call that roofer he stands behind that his work for five years we'll have him come out mrs johnson and he will take care of that and he takes care of that problem but if that roofer doesn't stand behind if he doesn't warranty his work then who has to take care of the problem Right. You have to take care of the problem. So, true, so you man. have to think about that, especially as you're scaling a business. You want guys that are going to stand behind their work because if problems come after the fact, after you sell the property, your reputation is still on the line. You yeah. can go to your guys who their reputation is still on the line and they will go take care of that problem on behalf of the team. Yep. And so you definitely want to make sure that they warranty your work. You definitely want to make sure how long that warranty will go. And you definitely want to know, well, do you put that in writing? So yep. that's question number three. The next one's gonna be, how will I handle mistakes or disagreements? So again, that's part of the warranty. Yeah. Oh gosh, you guys made a mistake. Uh, so Grant, you go into this one. How do you expect general contractors to handle mistakes and disagreements? Well, I mean, how people handle that and how their ego gets involved in that's hard for every single person, you know? So that's probably a great question. I, I haven't even really truly thought about that is asking them, up front, how they deal with that and how does a mistake and this and that. I love the humble person, you know, that humble contractor, you know, like if I make a mistake, I'm happy to come out and fix it. I, I like those type of people. And you can just judge by that conversation that you're having it with them. But, you know, how would we handle, you know, mistakes and disagreements? I think that comes down to just a good quality contract, right? So like, that's where the contract comes into play. That's why I spent $1,500 on a, a GC contract or a worker contract that has everything on the whole nine pages, right down to the change orders, the scope of work and everything that you put into it, you know, so good contracts handle mistakes and disagreements and yeah and you're right bob because but, that's the whole point of a contract you know yeah. i hate contracts because i'd rather just do everything on a handshake yeah but yeah. unfortunately not everyone has exactly the same level of integrity mm -hmm. as maybe you or i have and that's where the contract comes into play you know the one thing i learned about contracts is that you don't need a contract until you have a problem. And then that contract <laughs> so allows you to know exactly how you're going to solve that problem yeah. because you've already pre-agreed uh, in, in really good general and sometimes yeah. specific terms as to how the problem, uh, the mistake or the disagreement is gonna get resolved. And right. so I totally agree with you. It's definitely worth the money spent to have a contract and hopefully you never have to use it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I can see like where you're at or like, you know, as we get better in our relationships, like you don't necessarily have to have a contract for every single thing, but definitely when you're starting out with somebody, boilerplate contract at minimum um, or the contract that I've got that I'm throwing into the notes here that Tim will have. So it's like, it's just a great one. And that $1,500 I spent, you know, they can have and they're part of that. 
backside of that group. All right, so. Grando, the next one is gonna be, how will they obtain necessary permits? Now, this <sighs> is a really great Man. question because some GCs, contractors, do not like to deal with the city. And it's very understandable why they don't like I to deal it. with the city. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate it. <laughs> Uh, no worse. That's exactly why uh, they, you have to ask that question yes. because Bob knows the pain of having to deal with the city. Yeah. And when you have to go get the necessary permits, you have to deal with the city. God. And now the reason why you need to ask that question is because you need to know, okay, well, what permit, if you say yes, contractor, what permits will you need to get? Right. Because you want to know and you want to have an inventory of the permits that they pull, number one, to make sure that they're pulling the proper permits. Yes. Because if you go to sell the product or the property that you own, you need to disclose, okay, we did this work and permits were pulled on this work, especially plumbing and electrical, yeah. anything structural, framing, all that stuff. You have to have permits. And the permit really also covers your butt because once you pull a permit odds are there's going to be a city inspector that's going to come out to the house and they're going to make sure that the work was done up to code right. and so grando tell us <laughs> i loved your response yeah. tell us why a general contractor would be like oh yeah you know i could do the permit but do we you know maybe we don't have to pull that permit for the deck oh god yeah yeah that's the worst thing ever i mean i've actually not pulled permits on some uh, on my own place that i uh that i remodeled on some of the stuff and uh, I got turned in for it and had to go back and repermit it. And I'm, I'm, you know, so that's been one of my own experiences. I wasn't a contractor then and I was just a homeowner, but it, it's such a daunting thing to go through the process and cities are so complicated. Right. And so I see why a lot of stuff and it wasn't major work, you know, but still I got popped for it just because a neighbor turned me in and said, I think they're doing this right. But a contractor that can't navigate those waters isn't doing enough work to be navigating those waters. And if they're willing to go off beat, what else are they willing to cut? What else are they willing to hide? What else are, you know, maybe it's, oh, it needs to be a two by six, but a two by four work, right? It's that whole ethical thing. And I learned my lesson through that. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those things, but that, that's a good contractor knows how to navigate those waters better than you or I. And I just spent three months trying to get, or getting permits on a new construction project. And I, so I was burnt out on, I was like, why is this taking so long? Well, I didn't have the relationships with the city, you know, where this guy, you know, our newest guy, he's, you know, I was like, dude, I got, here's the plans. Can you get the permits on this one? He's like, I got it. And I go, what do you mean? He's like, I'll go down there. I'll talk to him. He goes, I'll have the checkbook. And I know the people. And I was like, I go, you're not just doing it all online. He's like, no, I'm not doing that online. You know, I was like, he goes, this is an in-person thing. He's like, and I know the inspector, and then like we can get through. I was just like, yeah, it's a relationship. Yeah, and there's there's so, an art to it, Bob. There because is. Chris is amazing yeah. at it. I mean, we've been. We deal with the city of Minneapolis, which I'm going to tell you is absolute torture. And we've done a lot of products yeah. uh, and projects in the city of Minneapolis. And he knows everyone down there. Dude. And he said the same thing. I go, dude, he goes, they're making me do it online. I'd rather go down there. Yeah. And so uh, especially with the COVID world that we're in right now at yeah. the moment, uh, he's not happy about it. So you're right. It, it, <laughs> it's a relationship thing. It is a relationship And on top thing. of that, too, though, you're right, Grando, because 
getting permits is another layer of insurance. It's another layer of protection for you as whether, whether you're the homeowner, the developer, the builder, the investor, whoever you are, when you're using a general contractor, it's another layer of protection when they go down there and get a permit um, yeah. on behalf of the work they're going to do on your house. So let's move to the next one. So cool. we don't make this four hours long. Okay. Um, what is their estimated timeline and process. So when you're interviewing a contractor, you're gonna ask, what is your estimated timeline and process? Now, I can tell you this. <laughs> I've done this so long that just reading that question, it, it hurts. Because uh, there's one thing that a general contractor will tell you is, oh yeah, I'll get it done in 90 days. Okay, you're gonna get it done in 90 days. So you're gonna do a full gut of this house and it's gonna be done, permits, everything, out the door, I can list it in 90 days yeah oh yeah no problem no problem okay so then what's the process and then they break down the process of what's going to happen at what stage how the products are going to be ordered da, 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 da. i can tell you with almost a hundred percent certainty very 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 rarely will a project get done within the timeline that the general contractor will give you now that is a big test because if you interview that contractor, if you decide to work with that contractor, and if that project gets done within that 90-day timeline or whatever the timeline is they give you, let me tell you, that is a good contractor. Yep. That is an organized contractor. Mm -hmm. That is a contractor that has relationships. That is a contractor you probably want to give another shot to. Mm -hmm. But if they don't hit their timeline, and if their process isn't exactly what they said it was going to be, just know that's very, very normal. So, mm. Grando, tell us. Let's say we're doing a project, like your last project, the one that you just sold um, recently that is a smaller project yeah. that was the one you were going to sell to your fireman buddy. Yeah. What was the, what would you, you know, if you were talking to a contractor and you were hiring a contractor for that job, what would you be asking or what would your expectations be on timeline and on process? And in in the in the end of the at the end of the day did did you if you were the general contractor yeah. or the general contractor you hire did they actually live up to the timeline and the process that they told you they would yeah no that one actually we slated out and we thought it would take you know 60 days it was just a skim code all the way around it did it, the only thing that slowed us up was we didn't realize the extent of the electrical work that needed to be done so the electrician had to do like a 90% you know re-electrical work or redo on the house so that took up a little bit more time but we kind of like on skim, when we know it's like a skim coat, like where you're just kind of doing like cosmetic flip, we know it's about 60 days, you know, so we can kind of judge that. That one just took a little bit over 60 days because of that, that delay. And I think, you know, it, it, it all really truly comes down to, you know, how well organized they are. And so like, like I like, you know, I'm not where you're at, where you have the, just the general getting, taking everything and rolling with it. Like, you know, we're, we have kind of like designer project manager organizing that aspect on-site guy that's kind of the lead gc but we're still kind of overall in control of it and organizing and he's saying hey okay we're ready for x y and z doing that so we're able to kind of control our time frames that way um but a good general contractor i mean like if you think about a remodel if they're telling you it take you a month and it involves anything like removing a wall even you know like gutting a bathroom and, and 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 including a whole house touch up paint and all that stuff it just takes time because it only goes together one way but the problem with remodels is it has to also come apart and that's the difference between new construction and remodel you know and and new construction is almost easier to me sometimes because 
in a remodel, you got to rip it all apart. And then you find all these problems that can just blow your freaking schedule. And so that's, dude, never planned for. So that's like, so, you know, I always say like, give yourself three months minimum, you know, when you're doing any sort of thing where you're even touching a wall and, you know, moving it at all, you're going to need to plan for three months. And so if a general contractor is telling you a month, you know, and this is a small house, like this is a thousand square foot house. So the bigger the house, the more time it's going to take, right? So if it's 2000 square feet, tack on another month, you know, it's like when you look at those types of things and, but if they're telling you one month or 60 days, it's just unrealistic. I mean, like it takes two weeks yeah. sometimes just to paint. <laughs> so, but so grand, let's talk a little bit about the process. Cause I think you're going to be very versed as a general contractor, the process, what I mean, and be very like timeline specific yeah. as far as step one, step two, step three, yeah. but not like, don't go too deep into the weeds. Like yeah. what would the process be that, that when you say, okay, Mr. General contractor, if I hire you, what's the process going to be on, let's say finishing my basement, right? Let's go with that one. Grant. Yeah. So if you're going to finish, say a thousand square foot basement, right? I don't know. That's probably good size basement. So you got a thousand square foot basement and you have that. So the first phase of that's going to be the demolition phase. What needs to be demoed out? What pipes need to be pulled? What needs, what infrastructure systems need to be fixed before they can get to the next phase, you know, which would be the framing phase of that basement, right? So it's like, how long does this take? And, and knowing phases of construction is what really will help people understand that. Yeah. So it's like, I know the first thing on a remodel is the demo phase and all this stuff. Now it's like, okay, now we're to the framing phase. Once framing's complete, then it's like, okay, how long is that going to take? We got a thousand square feet. You've got a three-man framing crew in a basement or whatever. So you're going to be like, all right, so that's going to take X amount of time with three guys. And you should be kind of going, okay, yeah, a couple of weeks to frame that. That would make a lot of sense. We got to beam it and do stuff like that. Then you've got electrical. You've got plumbing. Those people don't like to work at the same time in a house. Like they freak out if you have a framer there and an yep. electrician there. They, they, they just spaz out and want to leave. You know, they all want the house to themselves. So you have to give them that time frame, you know, and then those guys will know their time frames, like how much time they're going to need tack on a couple more days for, you know, delays and stuff like that. The unexpected. So, yep. Yeah, the unexpected. Then your next phase, you know, you're going to go from all the infrastructure being done, electrical plumbing. Then you've got that. The next thing from there, it's going to be, you know, the insulation portion of it. So insulation, drywall, that's like its whole new phase right there. And, you know, that's. The insulation's really quick, right? But then the drywall, there's layers of finish that have to go into drywall. There's an inspection, you know, that involves just like when the drywall's been placed, you know, like that's got to be inspected and all that crazy stuff. So there's that phase of it, you know, and once you're past that point, then you're kind of what I call, you know, onto the finishing phase of a project where you're putting in like the beautiful things and that's where everybody loves to be. The other stuff sucks and nobody sees it, you know, and like <laughs> yes. that finishing phase, when I tell, tell, I always tell people like on new construction from the day you think your place is all drywalled in and that's finished, you still got like another 90 days to go, you know, cause all that stuff now takes a lot of time. Like the finish, you know, putting in all the flooring, putting in all the cabinetry, putting in all the, you know, the plumbing fixtures and doing the, the tiling, baseboard, the trim, the trim, the, the doors, all that stuff that actually takes the longest. And so in smaller places, you can get that all kind of squeezed down into probably a one month time frame. but most bigger places, it's going to take a couple months to knock all that stuff out. So uh, just to recap that, I think, so then you have, so what I say, demo phase, then you've got the framing phase, 
then you've got the kind of like re-putting in the infrastructure, insulation, then you've got the, you know, which involves drywall, and then you're onto the finishing phase, you know, so just kind of picking out and understanding those phases of construction is kind of- Yeah, and if somebody, the if the GC doesn't explain those phases of construction to you, then you're, you should be apprehensive because yeah. exactly how Bob laid it out, um, they can go into more detail, but they better be explaining on a finished basement uh, um, hire. If you're yeah. going to hire somebody to finish your basement, they better go over those general processes. Mm-hmm. And then you got to ask questions that go deeper into it. So, yeah. Bob, that was a, that was a great explanation. Let's move on to the next cool. one. Um, what is the payment schedule? Mm. So I would tell you this, that the bigger the job, the more payments. So, yep. uh, for instance, like I'm working on a $1.4 million new construction situation, right? And usually the standard amount of draws that the uh, that my contractor will pull is around five. But on this one at 1.4 and because, you know, it's got a lot of custom detail into it. So uh, it depends when you order product and, and, mm-hmm. and different variables go into it. We have six draws. So the payment schedule means that the general contractor comes to me and says, hey, I need uh, payment for the foundation and for uh, to order the lumber. So I need half down for that. That might be draw number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you know what? Now draw number two is I'm going to put on um, the outer layment of the house, the windows uh, that might draw draw number two. And then right. it just keeps going through the cycle of the build. And then draw number six is like, hey, man, I got to pay for the cabinet finishes. And then we got the electrical guy we got to pay for and we got to pay that plumber that was in there like 30 days ago and so that's how it usually breaks down now when you're doing like let's go back to the basement finish Mm -hmm. what should you do as far as payment schedules on a basement finish i would tell you you should probably do a half down and then half on completion yeah because the thing about payment schedules is that you have to realize and and there's this is again this is painful for me to say because i I for good contractors, I know the pain they go through collecting money Mm -hmm. from homeowners because homeowners use that money against them for everything. And that's not fair uh, because a lot of good general contractors do good work. And then the homeowner tries to milk free stuff off of them because I'll give you that check. I'll give you that check. I'll give you that check. And then finally, you know, sometimes the general contractor has to go so far as to put a lien on your house because you're playing too many games. They've done what they said they're going to do. The product's good. And you're just playing games to get free stuff out of them. That's why that's painful. That's not fair. You shouldn't do that. But on the flip side, you do need to protect yourself mm-hmm. and giving half down gets the job going and, and pays for materials and pays for maybe some of the subs that the general contractor needs to get paid to get to the job. Right. But it doesn't give the general contractor any profit. So he needs to keep making sure that project gets done because in order to get his profit and for himself to get paid, he needs to get that second half installment. Right. Um, so I would just yeah. on a finished basement, I would do half down and then half when uh, when everybody signs off on a on a good finished product. Right. Grando, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, if I were using a GC to run that whole thing and he said, "Here's the budget, this and that," I I would definitely do that. How we work on a smaller level right now. We, we like to pay our um, contractors every Friday so they know we'll pay out on Friday and we always cover materials. So we pay for, we don't even, you know, if they're at a, a Home Depot, they would have one of our corporate cards and they would use that. Or if they're one of our suppliers, they would put it on our account and that bill would come to us. So we try to like on the smaller micro level when we're project managing, we like to just be able to have them just, we just basically pay their labor costs. So one week's labors, one week's pay, right? So that's kind of how we do it. 
the more we step back and we do bigger projects, like we're on our apartment complex, like our, you know, electrician, they're like, here's, it will not exceed this. And then, so we'll need this and this will be the material breakdown and this. So we're happy to pay those, you know, to like reputable companies, just like you said. Um, but on some of the micro, more cosmetic things, you can, you can pay for materials, have the materials there for them and then pay for their labor costs. And if you find guys that like to work like that, that's a good relationship on a lot of small, especially rental rehabs and stuff like that. That works out really smoothly, I think. So, yeah, totally agree with yeah. you. Totally agree with you. Okay. Let's move to the next one. Um, is there a dedicated team working on my project or will you be going on and off the job and, and, you know, maybe juggling one or two or three projects mm-hmm. at one time? Bob, I don't need, I'm going to leave this up to you because this is a huge pain point. And this, I I believe this could be one of the, the biggest questions you need to ask. And I would not work with a guy if he answered it in one specific way. What's your thoughts on it? Well, yeah. So if you have a contractor that's basically GCing and he's got 20 projects going on and he's, you know, moving all over the place, you're not going to get the service you're going to get with one, one contractor right there. So I, I, I'm like you, I want a a contractor who I know that's going to be working on my project till that project's done. You know, the guy we're working with right now, he's running point on that, you know, with, with design and um, Shelly, our project manager, and she's bringing, getting all the materials and all that stuff he needs. Uh, when he's like, oh, okay, electricals going in this week, they're not going to need me on site there. He's like, and we got the apartment complex. He's like, I'm going to jump back over the apartment complex and go work on that and get the framing done over there and make sure everybody's working on that. That, I mean, you know, there to there, I think like maybe another project because there's always dead spots and stuff going on. But man, when they've got like too many things going on, you know, that to me, like a lot of times. Yeah, but it's also stuff. different because Grando, you have a guy, he's kind of under your wing. Yeah. See, Chris and I, I mean, we're we're a partnership. Yeah. So he's under my wing. So like we're married, right? right? So, I mean, he wants to take care of me as much as I want to take care of him. That's different than right. what I guess the context I'm thinking of in this question when I'm in the survival phase and I'm trying to get to know a guy and I don't, he's you not want under there. my wing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, yeah, I got, I got Susie and, and, and Jim and, and Bob, I got their houses going, but I can take on your, your investment property. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I will go back and forth, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Do you have a dedicated team, like three guys in your crew that will be at the house every day yeah. working on this house until it's done. Yeah. So that I know that there's not going to be dead time of a week because mm-hmm. you got caught over on Susie's house and you just can't make it over. Yeah, because I, I see I'm going to tell that. you this. If you see that happening, <laughs> be careful because you just went from, okay, what was your timeline? Oh, our timeline's 90 days to what was our timeline? You guys said 90 days. Now we're at 180 days later. Why is the house not done? Because they can't manage the situation of bouncing through jobs yeah. and so many problems are coming up, things aren't getting done. So you you have to be very yeah. careful about finding someone that says, yeah, man, I got three guys. They won't leave that job site until that job is done that actually, because time that to me. is money. Yeah, that, that actually happened to me on a project that was a little bit further out of town. It wasn't getting done, wasn't getting done, wasn't getting done. And I found out that they didn't have people on site every day. Yeah, so looking at it in that aspect, like I have a lot more control over what I have going on. And it's because of what you just said right there. That's why I haven't, (laughs) 
But my goal is to bring the guy we have up to the level of what you're talking about with the dude that, you know, your, your, yeah. your partner, Chris. So that's the exact yeah. path I'm on. And that's an exact yeah. lesson it's you just have pain, to learn. Right, Grando? So, we, we learn all these things yeah. through just pain, 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 pain. And we just are like, I don't want that pain. I don't want, dude. when, when I said permits, Bob's like, ah, yeah. permits. <laughs> like, I don't want that pain. I hate those things. So, <laughs> oh. Cities are so hard. Um, all right, let's go to the next right. one. So the next one is, uh, will I have a main point of contact through the job? So just like you want to know, you want the guy to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have three guys at your job site every day and it will be there until it's finished. Who's the lead? Okay, well then if there's three guys on the job site, who's going to be my main point of contact yeah. that's managing that job site? Grando, why is that so important? I mean, you're structuring that Ooh. right now. Oh my God. One point of contact comes down to what we call in the fire service span of control. You know, span of control is five to one. You know, one person can manage five people and you always have to kind of think about that. So if you don't have one point of contact on a job site and you're trying to go to five people, they're going to tell you five different things and they're going to give you their yes. five different perspectives. You have to have one leader on that job site every single time who says, this is the plan. And he talks to the, if it's two other guys, the two other guys know he's the leader and he, they're following the plan. So without that, if you have a GC that doesn't, or a person or anybody you're working with that's contract that doesn't have that, they don't know the under, they don't understand the basics of span of control and it will become a nightmare and your timelines will be so far blown. <laughs> Yeah, no. and, and it really comes down to too is that your one point of contact is the leader of the job mm -hmm. and he also has confidence in making decisions mm -hmm. because if there's one thing you need out of your GC is a guy that's very decisive, yeah. has experience enough to have confidence in their decision-making yep. ability because if you have someone that is indecisive as a general contractor, again, if they tell you that the job's going to take you 90 days and you're 180 days into the job, you're going, why didn't this take 90 days? And you have an indecisive decision maker. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the big yep. reasons why. So definitely time. find out if there's a main point of contact. Yep. I agree with that, man. 100%. Okay. Let's go to the next one. What do you do at the end of every job? Now, I'm going to put this into context because when a job is finished, it's not finished. <laughs> Like, see, when yeah. you have a GC so that thinks that he gets to just shut the door and walk away. Oh, my God. He's wrong. Because when you do construction, again, that comes all the way back up to warranty. Do you warranty your work? Yeah. Yes, sir. I warranty my work for at least one year or five years like your roofer, Bob. Yep. But that is what I'm talking about. If they don't mention that, well, what do you do at the end of every job? Well, the job isn't over. Just because we finished the, your basements, ma'am, doesn't mean that we're necessarily done because what we have to do is we have to obviously clean it, have it spotless. Yep. We actually hire a professional cleaner, and then we have you sign off on all the work that we've done. Once you're completely happy, the job still isn't done, ma'am, because you know what? For a year, you can call us because if there's nail pops or if uh, there's some expansion and contraction, like in Minnesota when you have the cold and the hot, you know what? We're going to come back, and we're going to make sure that we got everything figured out uh, really well. And another thing is like on siding in Minnesota. If you install siding in Minnesota in the winter and then the summer comes and it expands, oh, yeah. you can have things that happen to that material. And so they need to come back and they need to address things like that. So if they don't say something along the lines of, well, ma'am, the job really isn't over once we leave. The job, you know, because we stand behind our work or they don't come up with something along those lines or or you know what, ma'am, you know what? The job's over after we have the place completely spotless and you sign off and we're all on agreements and everybody's happy. If they're not talking that language, 
then you're probably not talking to the right guy, right? Uh, I have nothing else to add to that. You're 100%. <laughs> okay. Seen that pain Okay, point. so that, that's awesome. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a fact. Yeah. Like, they're, the job's never over. No. You know what? And if they want it to be over the second that you hand them that last paycheck, that comes down to integrity and that comes down to, hmm, is this the right guy for me? Yep. So yeah, definitely pay attention to how they answer that question. Now, the next question is, what precautions do you take to protect my property's finishes, both the current finishes that I have in my property? Because, you know, if you're working in a kitchen, there's still stuff that's finished around that kitchen. Yeah. And also the new finishes that you're installing, like these beautiful custom cabinets that I have, how do you protect them from all the other work and all the other things that are going on? Grando, I'm going to let you Dude. take that one. It's, it's the biggest thing. Like, I hate it when things get damaged, you know, like even trim work, you know, like once you're in that. And, and so when you're in that like construction phase of stuff, you know, kind of in like that framing, this and that, the demo, then you're into the framing. I get that things can happen because you're tearing apart a house. You know, all the major things that can be packaged up and moved and wrapped up should be wrapped up and clean. You should have floors covered. You should have dust curtains up and all sorts of stuff to try to keep and minimize the rest of the house if you're working for somebody. Um, you know, most of our houses, everything would be vacant. So but, you know, we still have like, we're not doing any work over here. Let's not touch these walls here. Let's not mess this up here. And let's keep this over there. So you're still doing a lot of that type of stuff. And it just comes down to taking the extra time, you know, to to minimizing the effects everywhere else. Because you can prevent dust from just flying in there. So you don't have to spend $500 cleaning out two bedrooms that you didn't need to do because you could have just put up some bisqueen, you know. Um, and, and then really, like, when it comes down to it, like, after you're through that and you've got it done and you put in brand new floors, are the floors just going to be uncovered and everybody's walking on it? Because contractors all wear vibrant sole boots and stuff. They're walking through mud, then they're walking right in there. It's like, does the guy that do the floors, does he cover them up afterwards? Or does the drywall guy cover it up so he doesn't get a bunch of drywall stuff on it? All those people should be held accountable to that level of detail. And it takes a good general contractor to ensure that they're doing that. You know, And if the GC oh, doesn't Brando. care... It, then they don't care because they're not going to do it unless they absolutely have to, you know, and it's just one of those you things. You nailed that. Like that's this $1.4 million build we're doing. We have a client, so uh, we, I was able to pre-sell it um, and it's new construction, but I'm telling you like that is to the nth degree of the answer to this question. Yeah. Like how much detail are you going to spend on protecting all of these fine finishes that you're putting into this home so that you don't get splatter on the cabinets or you don't get a ding on the cabinets or the trim doesn't get a ding on it or the railing doesn't get a ding on it or the guys don't come into these beautiful uh, white oak floors that yeah. cost an arm and a leg and and all of a sudden they're, they have rock on the bottom of their foot and all of a sudden you have this big scuff on these floors <laughs> or like how does that light fixture going to go up and not get ruined? I mean, it's that this... Well, like when you go to the scale of a $1.4 million new construction build, the scale of how much money you spend to protect the finishes through the stages is ridiculous. It's like when I first started seeing the number of like, you guys spent all that just to like put up the plastic and protect the floors mm. and wrap the railings. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But at the end of the day, <laughs> that's a guy, those are people who care. Yeah. That's someone who has integrity. That's someone who stands behind his work. Yeah. Um, and you have to understand, though, that when you see that that's an expense as a, that a general contractor has, that's not a bad thing. Because then you know the end product. Hey, number one, it's going to have integrity. But number two, 
it's not going to have a bunch of nicks and splattered paint and and it's not going to be something that you walk through and all of a sudden there's blue tape like there was a murder scene in the house. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right? Yeah, you know and, what I'm talking about. And it's multiple times. Sometimes the paper gets torn up or something gets torn up and you got to fix again. But you know, at the end of the day, if something gets damaged and you've done everything you can to protect it, then that's just a casualty of the job, right? And then it's like, and you okay. Fix it. I had a fridge where they were putting in this fridge and and I was watching them and you go through, I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm, you know, I didn't want to be the jerk because I was like, don't, you know, I was thinking it was tight where they're going. It's right at the corner of a thing. I go, man, if they hit that thing, they tweak it and they hit it. It was a brand new fridge. Luckily it was a flip house. And they're like, oh, we're really sorry. I was like, well, it was only an $1,800 fridge. And now it's a small ding in it. And it's that level of detail where I'm just like, I'll never want you guys to install a fridge for me again. And that's where I have to like, be like, I have to have, give second chances. Because they were like, we are so sorry. What are we going to do? I go, you know what? It's a flip house. We'll just say it was a discounted fridge that we put in there and we'll just write this one off, you know? And like, I was like, so I, but in the end, I was like, I'm make, taking a mental note of that. Like you guys, it wasn't your fridge. It was my fridge and my money, you know? And you just decide to take the easy route when you should have went around the other way where it was wider, you know? And it was like, ah. And those are the things that those details that are so important with a good GC, you know, the details so, matter, especially yeah. as you move up from, you know, the lesser and lesser houses. Like yeah. if you're selling a $150,000 house, the expectations are lesser and lesser. Yeah. But like I said, as I moved up through the ranks and now we're doing these $1.4 million houses, like that's a $10,000. Well, I'm paying $1.4 million. Don't I get to have really high expectations? Yes. And I would say, yes. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> And that's a $10,000 fridge in that house, you know? So a ding there ain't gonna, it's it's toast. It's like a $10,000 yeah. mistake, you know, versus a yeah. $1,600, but yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. okay, let's so. go with the final question that we have on our list. Now, yeah. I want you to understand like this conversation, we're over an hour and I knew it was gonna go an hour, yeah. but this list could go on for days. But I think these are some of the very, very key things that you need to ask. These are the things you need to pay attention to. So let's go into the last one and I save the best for last. Grando, <laughs> how do you handle change orders? Now, <laughs> this, is, this is the point where the customer or you, mm -hmm. if you're the property owner or me, the developer and the builder, get to argue about okay so you want to charge me this much more for what or tim gets to say the developer says i want this how much is it going to cost and then it adds to the bottom line mm -hmm. which whenever you add anything to the bottom line whether you're a homeowner getting your house remodeled or whether you're a developer hiring hiring a general contractor whenever you add costs to the bottom line it's less money in your pocket. So it's never a fun conversation, change orders, and how do we deal with the change orders? And what is a fair change to ask you like, hey, can you add an outlet? Hey, can you add two can lights right there? Yeah. Do you Should you expect to get charged? Or yeah. something like, hey, <laughs> you know what? Um, I want to upgrade those floors. I know you gave me, you know, $20 a square foot. I want to go to $30 a square foot for these beautiful Brazilian cherry floors. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a change order. That's legitimate that the contractor has every right to charge you for, but is a change order legitimate when it's like, Hey, will you add two cans when it really costs like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks maybe to add two cans? Probably not. But Grando, tell me about change orders. I mean, yeah from a general contractor's perspective, and then I can give a little light from the developer's perspective in regards to how general contractors look at right. change orders. So if it's like paint colors, if it's like 
uh, a different type of trim, but the same cost, you know, and it's cost neutral. Uh, I think those change orders are fine, you know, but if it comes down to altering or changing or adding costs or adding can lights or anything like that, those are change orders that have to be charged because the profit in a job is a profit that you set with a buffer, like a contingency, you know, for the project for overages, not just for changes. And so that's, that's kind of the way I see it. It's like, yeah, you want six can lights in the living room versus four. Perfect. Let me just give you the exact true cost of that can light, you know, and go right to the GC and the electrician. What do these two cost? That, that, and that. Okay, can we add that? And most general contractors, everything they touch that runs through them gets marked up 10%, right? Because they're going to make money off that. So you leave it up to him. You fill out the change order paperwork. And then from there, everybody signs on it. Because if you don't have clear expectations on like what something's going to cost, all of a sudden, they want to change 30 things in a house. You change 30 $1,000 items, you've just added $30,000 to a house, you know? And, and then they get the, the, the budget and they're like, and they see that, they're like, what, 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 what? You said. And the classic thing I've seen is somebody will walk through a house, you know, a, a spec home or something with a builder, and they're like, yeah, can I do this? This, they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Oh, we can do that. We can do that. And they'll, they'll break down their budget. And then the price that was like for this spec home that you could buy here, and they're going to have another home built, you know, by that contractor, because they all love to have the teaser spec home. And then they have the other one that they're going to build you that's more custom. They're like, oh, yeah, we could do all these changes for you. And then you see that price compared to that price. And you're like, well, I, I can't afford that. And it's sticker shock, right? So it's just preventing that sticker shock and having real expectations, being very upfront with people when they do change something that's not really typically what you like to do in your process. And if you do do it, it's an exact cost. And if there's a markup for the GC, knowing that exact markup and walking it back through. But, you know, my contractor's contract has that exact thing and it. it has a change order there. So it's line by line what you're going to change. Specific, not like I want a whole new kitchen that's this and this. That'll be 30K. It's like, what are we changing in the kitchen? And it's just very detailed out. So it, people can go, oh, I can't change that. now. I can't change that. now. I can't change that. So if they do hit that sticker. Yeah, shot. I 100% agree with you from the general contractor perspective. Like, so from my developer perspective, see, you don't, if you're in the survival phase and this is the first job you're going to do and you're asking that question saying, you know, sir, if I hire you as my general contractor, how will the change orders work? You don't have the context to understand what you need to protect yourself mm -hmm. from. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to learn. Uh, the hard way probably right. there's no really no real way around that but it, at least you can have something documented whether it's a contract like bob has yeah. um and so you have a documented process for change orders um or you can learn from it because the contractor gives you something um you know in their rough contract it's not your contract yeah. but it's their contract when they when you hire them to do the work and it, and it explains what um, they're going to do in a change order situation. Right. Either way, again, always default to have something in writing because then you can resort to it when the time comes. Right. But a lot of things are going to happen in the change order situation. And from a developer, because I've done enough of these jobs, mm -hmm. I buffer myself cost yeah. and so i know that i might change my mind i know my designers might change their mind i know that something's going to probably cost more than what i initially thought it was going to yeah. cost and so i create a buffer based on and it's sometimes a percentage or mm -hmm. it's a fixed dollar amount based on the size of the job and the, and the scope of the work yeah. um so you as the whether you're the homeowner the developer whomever hiring that gc um experience will tell you that 
make your own buffer don't tell them what the buffer is but make your own buffer so that you know when you have change orders you're okay with that um because bob's 100 percent right yeah change orders are sticker shock and instantly the first thing you think about is if you're a developer is wow i just lost ten thousand dollars of profit right off uh, out of my pocket Ugh, and it yeah. hurts and it gets emotional and you got to stay away from that mm -hmm. emotional so bob do you have anything you want to add on change orders because that nope. is one of the most painful things yeah. in the process yes yeah. i mean clear communication and clear documentation is the way to save yourself and everything when you have clear expectations added on top of that you'll do you'll be successful in that whole process and the contractors that aren't on board with that and 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 don't play by those rules are not the good ones Grando, so we are at the end of our hour-long podcast, and I think that this could be one of the most valuable podcasts. Just, I mean, find, and this is part two. Like, we're going to go into probably, we're going to probably have like 15 episodes around contractors because it's so dynamic and it's such an important piece mm -hmm. of what we're trying to do uh, as a value-driven investor and, and transforming property. Right, right. But Grando, do you have a story or anything you want to share along the lines of finding contractors? Uh, like your big thing was focus on referrals mm -hmm. and, and relationships to find good contractors or all the different questions that we went into. I don't know if you have a story or something you want to do to sum it up and take us out on this I, one. I got a small story and this is how I test contractors and which we didn't really talk about it. You know, a lot of times if you have smaller projects, you can test people on. It's a really great way to start building that relationship. 100%. So we had this guy that sought us out, right? They know we're flipping houses, this and that. And they're like, oh gosh, man, I really, I got to work with this guy. And he's like a younger kid who just broke out on his own. Right. And he's like, I'm a contractor and I've worked for X, Y, and Z and I've done this work. And so I was like, and he had the courage to come and want to meet with us, sit down in our office and say he wanted to work with us. And I was like, okay, great. You know, and I go, how we'd like to get started with you is since you're like a newer contractor, you said you've got experience, went through the kind of the questioning, you know, what he's done and all that type of stuff. I go the next time, you know, on our brokerage side, when we have a punch list pop up for a house, we'll get you started on that. And we'll just see how you work kind of on the smaller stuff just to get you started. Cause I get, I go, you know, I think that you could be a good person. I go, but I'm not willing to trust a $60,000 rehab with you and have it take, you know, two years and never get done, you know? So we're going to start small and we're going to build a relationship. And you can always do that in many different ways when, you know, even if you've got a rehab, you can, you can always, you know, have something else. There's something else that you can have done, even if it's on your own house, you know, you can test people that way. So this was just like an eve fix and some a little bit of roofing work this and that and i was like okay so my brother works on it and we're like okay so what do, what's the ballpark cost he goes well if it's going to be this and this or this it could be like six hundred dollars you know but if i have to tear into x y and z it could be up to fourteen hundred dollars and i was like it seems reasonable for that level of work and what he's gonna have to do so he gets done um inside of one day and sends us a bill for like thirteen hundred and fifty dollars and so my brother calls me, he goes, dude, he goes, he said it would be this, but it was like this. And I go, oh, okay. And he's like, I go, we'll call him and ask him how long it took, this and that. And he goes, oh yeah, I got it done, this and that. And he goes, well, that's, you know, like going contractor rate with profit and start showing all this thing. My brother's like, no, no, no. You said if it, you didn't have to do X, Y, and Z, it would be $600. If you had to do that, it would be up to, like not to exceed that. And he's like, he goes, yeah. And he goes, so why are you charging me the full amount? He goes, well, you know, if you were to hire somebody else to do that type of work and it would be this. And he's like, he goes, cool. He goes, all right, we'll pay you. And we paid him. And then he, two weeks later, he goes, hey, what are we going to do next? 
And I was like, oh, we're not working together. He was like, why? I was like, because you did not adhere to your word on the first project we did. That was We don't the enjoy the bait and switch. Yeah. I go, we, that was the test project. And I go, you failed the test project. I go, I think you're a good dude. I go, but I think you need to go get some more experience with somebody else that you can work with and kind of sub under and stuff. And then maybe come back in a couple of years and talk to us, you know, about how things are going. You'll understand your pricing. You'll understand how to do things, this and that. And he's like, well, he goes, I, I didn't know that was a test. I go, everything's a test. Everything's a test. <laughs> yep. And you failed. I didn't have to tell you it's a test. I was just seeing like, will he hold to his word of the $600? And I go, we're going to pay you because we're never going to argue. You know, we're never going to argue with some guy that we owe him money and have him go around saying, these guys shorted me. I'll, I'll pay you $2,000 if you say that I owed you $2,000. I don't care. I'm never going to use you again. But at the end of the day, it's your word and it's what you say that you're going to do and how you follow up and the actions that you take that determine whether you get to work with us again. And that is just like a small way of testing people to see that little thing. And it costs you so much. Now imagine if that guy on a $60,000 project gives us a bill for $80,000, $90,000. We'd feel obligated to pay him, but we'd be like, we're never using him again. We have no money left in this deal. And you know, it's better to test people on small things than it is on big things and build that relationship over time. So that that's Boom, my best grand. advice. That so. was awesome. That was the perfect story because you summed it up on how do I test somebody and how do I find out? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're looking for is how do I find someone I can trust? Yes. And so, you know what? Thank you for listening. If you've listened to this entire podcast, <laughs> I am hoping you got some value out of this. I hope so. And, and I think you did yeah. um, because there's a ton of value here and there's a ton of experience talking. But if you want more experience and you want to become part of our community, again, visit valuedriveninvestor.com and you sign up for our email list and join our Facebook group. Uh, we're putting together a private Facebook group. And in that Facebook group, we're going to have some awesome resources around contractors. Like Grant said today, he's got a contract that he spent thousands of dollars on. We're going to get a contract like that into our resource um, resources in our private Facebook group because that's going to save you thousands of dollars to have to go ask your own attorney to do it, yep. but it's also going to save you time and it's going to save you stress. Tell so we keep, we plan on adding tons of different resources like this into our private Facebook group so that you guys don't have to go through the pain that Bob and I go through on a regular basis and you can shortcut it and become more successful faster. So thanks again for visiting us on the Value Driven Investor podcast. We're out. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we lead by giving. For more information about our community and what's new, visit valuedriveninvestor.com. The Value Driven Investor Podcast was produced by Digital Legend Media in Minneapolis. Build your legend, digitallegendmedia.com.